one of my favorite songs, because in both Isaiah and in Revelation, it talks about the angels or all the creatures around the throne singing holy, holy, holy. It's wonderful that God is loving, and we sing that often, but we also have to realize that he's holy. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And as you're finding that, let me just make you aware of one thing. Uh, every once in a while we do a time for people who are looking at whether God is adding you to us as a church. And so we do an added to the church time at Mary and my house, and that will be next week. Sunday at three o'clock for you to ask questions, get to know us. I say this quite often, but uh, in the states where I'm from, they teach every seminary in the states for pastors never to have people in their home because that uh, they'll see what you really like and lose respect because you're a real person and not on some pedestal. And so we want to start right out front, have you to our home, let you lose respect right up front, see what we're really like, and uh, then we're built around Jesus, not anything else. So, Tim, will you pray for us? We thank you, Lord, that uh, Holy Spirit, you lead us into truth and that uh, there's power in your pattern. And uh, we just pray that you, your presence will be all over everything that is said today, that uh, you would reveal to us what it is that uh, we, we need to learn and we need to know today. We thank you for your word, that it's perfect. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, 1 Chronicles 13. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader... And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere uh, who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of God back to us for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so and the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And David gathered all Israel together from all those places <laughs> to bring them up, to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of uh, Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart and David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps and stringed instruments, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. All those good things. Now understand here, the ark represents the presence of God. It's when it says uh, he dwells between the, uh, the cherubim, that was where the presence of God was. And so in wanting to bring the ark, they were actually saying, we want the presence of God. And they were all together in unity. 
They'd gone to all the leaders and all the people. Everybody was in unity. Sometimes people think, uh, if we just have unity, their God commands a blessing. We're going to see that it's important, but it's not enough. They had this worship with all their heart. Sounds like a good thing. When they came to Chilin's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand in the ark, and he died there before, the, before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, which you would. Turn over to chapter 15. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, who were the priests, for God has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place. Verse 12, and he said, you are the heads of the Father's Houses of the, of the Levites, sanctify yourself, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, God of Israel, to the place I've prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper way or the prescribed pattern. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel, and children of the Levites bore the ark of the Lord on their shoulders by poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. What happened? Their motive was great. They wanted the presence of God. Their unity was fantastic. Not just a few people in a church, not just the churches in a city, but the whole nation. Their worship was wholehearted. But they ignored... The fact that God has a pattern. See, we need to realize that attitude is important. And that's normally what we spend our time talking about and focusing on is is attitude. But attitude by itself isn't enough. God has a pattern. And he says, if you don't do it according to the prescribed pattern, he's not happy. Sometimes we think if we just had the right attitude. Some people say, man, if, if we just were all in unity, if we could get all the churches together in unity, then something would happen and we'd have revival. It's not enough. If we could just get everyone together to worship and we were absolutely sold out in worship, then we'd have revival. It's not enough. We need the attitude, but we need God's pattern. God has a pattern. When they built the first tabernacle in the wilderness, Exodus 40, they built it according to how God had commanded. And 17 times in Exodus 40 it says that they built it according to how God had commanded Moses. There's something about God's pattern. Now if you look at that, that pattern represented something in the heavens we see in Hebrews. So it was a copy of something. So God has a pattern of what he's building. So I want to ask you this morning, what's God's pattern for his church? See, church is not a good idea by men. 
Church is his plan to raise up a bride for Christ, and he has a pattern of how it should function. There's some attitude things there as well. We talk about those. Making sure our attitude that Jesus is glorified. That's an attitude thing. Uh, Humility. The fact that we recognize that it's him and not us. Love for one another. Walking in grace. All those are attitude things, but by themselves they're not enough. God has a pattern. They were doing everything with the right attitude, but somebody had an idea, and they thought they had a better idea. God's got a pattern, but I've got a better idea. God said it goes like this. The ark is carried on the poles by the priests, but I have this better idea. Let's put it on a cart. Just a thought on that before we get into the pattern of the church is that God's pattern is that his presence is carried on the shoulders of the priests. What we're going to see is that that's all of us. We are a kingdom of priests. And so his presence isn't carried by the guy who leads the worship. If he'd only picked the right songs, we'd have the presence of God. Or if they didn't miss that chord. <laughs> Or if the preacher could only preach better, we'd have the presence of God. No, it's carried on the shoulders of the priest. So God's pattern for his church. I want to give you a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to give you a kind of a graph or a chart or something, because I see in pictures. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 2, he's writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified. Let me tell you, that means set apart, it means holy. I'm going to get sidetracked here because what that says is that everyone who is part of the church of Jesus Christ is holy. He goes on and says, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Now let me tell you, cross out the to be. That's not there in the Greek. It actually says called saints. And if you go to Ephesians, which we're going to read in a moment, it just says written to the saints, to the saints. Let me tell you, you're not called to become a saint. In Christ, you are a saint. Plain and simple. You're holy because of Jesus. Not because of you, not not the Catholic church idea of saints, that if you do all the right things, if you live an exceptional life, you'll be honored and eventually be a saint. It's nothing you do, it's what Jesus has done. You are holy, you're a saint. That's pretty amazing. And so when he writes to the saints, he's writing to everybody. Ephesians. I'm going to stop off at uh, chapter 1, verse 1, but it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. And then chapter 4, verse 12, he's talking about the equipping. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The saints. Who are the saints? 
We are. Sometimes it's hard for you to, to think that about yourself. Thinking about the person next to you. You're a saint. You're a saint. Say to your left, to the person on your left, you're a saint. Person on your right, you're a saint. Okay, now say, I'm a saint. I'm a submarine. I'm a rhubarb. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops or the elders and deacons. God's pattern. I think in pictures, so I've drawn you a picture so that you understand. And we have this incredible technology and these incredibly gifted people who make all this work. Picture a big circle. Oh, that's the church. And it's made up of what? Saints. Well, you guys can read, huh? Well done. And so what do the saints do? The work of the ministry, right? So God's pattern for his church is that it's made up of saints who do the ministry. He expects you to do all the fun stuff. What is the ministry of all the saints? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to give it, tell you in four areas. I've kind of summarized. But the first ministry of the saints is worship. What is worship? It's ministry to God. Worship is not just singing a few songs. Worship is a heart attitude that says, I live to honor you. And so that overflows when we get together. And what do we do? We sing praise and worship songs to honor Jesus. But if you only do it now, you're not a worshiper. Worship is your heart. It's your life. It's everything you do. It's I live for him. Worship is not just the songs, but it's the contributions. It's sharing things. It's coming and carrying the presence of God on our shoulders. It's sharing uh, manifestations of the Spirit. It's praying for one another. It's even our giving. That's an act of worship. All that is ministry to God, and everything we do starts there because everything we do is for his glory. But there's more. On top of worship, there's warfare. Warfare is partnering with him to see his kingdom extended. It begins with prayer. Let me tell you, every saint is called to pray. Not just a few. It's all of us. Because that's warfare. That's what we partner with him. That's what we hear the strategies from heaven on how we impact where we live. Warfare is also deliverance. Setting people free. So we've, as you can see, we've gone from our ministry to God, but in his name, our ministry then to others. Which leads us to the third ministry, which is witness. Now, this one's important because you need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit for this one. He said, 
You'll receive power when my spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So witness is sharing the good news of the gospel with people with signs and wonders accompanying. We all get to do that. It's not the evangelist that does that. What you see, if you go back to Ephesians 4, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher doesn't do the work of the ministry. They equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I get excited when I talk about this, so that's when my voice gets loud. So it's, but when people get saved, we're told to make disciples, not decisions. So when people come to Jesus, they need to be baptized. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, which is discipling. And so who does the baptizing? You do. It doesn't take a professional. There's no professionals. We're all saints. Who disciples them? You do. This is all the fun stuff. We get to do. Yet somehow we've got this idea that we just have to listen rather than we get to to participate. The fourth one is work. (laughs) Now what is work? How many of you know that in your home somebody has to take out the trash? (laughs) and if you're not good at that you set multiple alarms on your phone (laughs) to remind you but I've never met anyone whose gifting in God is taking out the trash but sometimes it just has to be done Matthew 20, 28, Jesus, it says that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There's something of, as we become like Jesus, our heart is to serve. When we aren't like Jesus, our heart is to be served. So there were guys who got here early and set up all the sound stuff. They do it every week. They set up all the chairs here so you'd have a place to sit when you came. They served you. Those who came earlier, there were uh, people who uh, teach the kids and they serve families. That's, why do they do that? Because they're becoming like Jesus. Because it's a privilege when you know him to be a part of what he's doing. We function different than many churches. If you're looking for a place that will just serve you and not expect you to do anything, then you're probably not going to be comfortable in this church. Because we will constantly be challenging you to participate. I got told that I got a little bit aggressive in the first service, so I'm trying to... Tone it down just a little bit. I was watching a a documentary on the Apollo uh, program on NASA in the 1960s and their attempt to uh, 
get a man to the moon and back in that decade. And it was quite interesting, and I, and I enjoyed it. But as an aside, somewhere in that, when that happened, they, they zipped to a segment about a church in Southern California, uh, Garden Grove Community Church, that was the first drive-in church. Obviously, the pastor must have said something about NASA, that they were part of this documentary, but it just hit me way back then. There was this idea that you could come to church and not actually connect with anybody. You could sit in your car, put the speaker in, because it was a drive-in. You would, people, and they have this picture of the parking lot full of cars and, and speakers and listening to the, the, uh, the guy talk. And we can do this, that without ever having to mix with people. But what hit me is that from that point, something began to happen was probably already happening, but it happened even more there, that says ministry or church is all one way. You just sit and listen and someone else does it. Yeah, ministry is preaching rather than caring for one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. All those things. There are 40 one another's in the Bible. 40 one another's to love one another, bear one another's burdens, instruct one another, care for one another, encourage one another. There's 40 of them. Love one another. All those require us to actually mix with people. You can't do those sitting in your car in a drive-in church. God has a pattern. And somebody thought they had a better idea. But on top of that, there's another circle. Bible calls them deacons. They're also saints, and they do the work of the ministry. But in addition to that, they shepherd, which is what? It's caring for people, and it's facilitating people doing ministry. That's what deacons do. They don't do it. Problem is, if the saints don't do the ministries, then someone else has to. And so we get this idea of professionals or leadership are the guys who do this. No, leadership are, are meant to facilitate everyone doing it. And then there's another circle. And uh, these are, Bible calls elders, pastors, overseers, who are also saints, I hope, who do the work of the ministry, who are also shepherds. But in addition to that, they lead. What is leading? It's doctrine, direction, correction. Very simple. Now this is a, what I see as a biblical God's pattern for his church. Now if you squint, that kind of looks like an eyeball. Which is why we drew it like that. And so the next slide shows you that it's focused on Jesus. Okay? I we put a cross there. It's not focused on the cross. It's focused on Jesus, but I couldn't fit Jesus into the slide, so we kind of, you, you get the picture, right? And so it's focused on Jesus. He's the head. He's what we're about. And so his, the pattern is that everyone is focused on him, not on an individual, but on Jesus. Okay, still with me. Acts chapter 2. 
Verse 46, I'm just going to read these. <laughs> so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. 5.42 says, uh-oh, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. So we see two things. They tended to meet in the temple together and in houses or small groups. It seems like that what God intended the church to do required not just one gathering, but more than one. Something of meeting together and something of meeting in small groups. Something of meeting together, if we look back at Acts 2, 42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. This is where the 3,000 were first added, and this is what the church did. They continued in the apostles' teaching. So there was instruction in the word. There was worship. There was fellowship. And there was prayer. And so what happens in God's pattern is that it requires a bit of, of both of those. We can't do it all. Why can't we do all that on Sunday morning? Because we'd be here for hours. How many of you know you can't actually fellowship with everyone in the church on Sunday morning? Especially in these COVID days, especially at the first service, because they have to get out so you guys can get in. I noticed that many of you got stuck in the parking lot talking to people who were going out as you were coming in and uh, didn't get quite in here when we got started. <laughs> I'm looking at Lance because someone had told me they didn't want to talk to you on the way out. I told them that you would be here. I'm just teasing. And so what we see there is three things. First is a commitment to growth. So they committed themselves. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. Doesn't mean that that was, they were something fantastic, but there was something of a heart that says we're committed to growing. Bible says it's not just hearing the word, but it's doing it. So if you're part of God's pattern for his church is that your heart has to be God. I'm committed to growing. I'm committed to being changed, to being transformed in the image of Christ, being transformed by the renewing of my mind, thinking differently. That's my commitment if I'm being added to a church. That's his pattern. It takes that if we're going to be a kingdom of priests. Then a commitment to community. All those 41 and others, we have to actually get together. Drive-in churches don't get it. Most of you who are sharp realize I'm talking about online churches as well. Oh! See, there's something about those things that we actually need to interact with one another. So there's something about God's pattern, which is community. And then a commitment to participate. As if I haven't said that already. It basically says... There's a commitment that I'm part of this. It all starts with understanding that you're a saint and that God's plan is to equip you 
to do the work of the ministry. What does that mean for us? It means in this, we often see our commitment to growing is as we gather for instruction in the Word. Our commitment to community is more seen in the small group context. And then our commitment to participate is both. We actually expect people to have a part on Sunday morning. We had a couple who visited two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I asked everyone at the end of the service to pray for those who needed a touch from God. And there were a number of people stood up and almost everyone gathered around and began to pray. And then we had a couple who were visiting who hadn't been here before. And they told me afterwards that they were actually shocked at the fact that almost everyone joined in and prayed. And I was just, I was shocked that they were shocked. I was kind of surprised. But I kind of went, I looked at him funny and he said, the, the guy, they were an older couple, he said, in all the churches we've been in, we've never seen that happen because it would only be maybe 10% of people who would actually participate. And I went, I was totally blind to it because I just assumed you would and you did. And I just went, ah, we're getting it. This is the pattern for church. This is a kingdom of priests. It's important to understand attitude counts. But pattern is also important. Now we've been talking about church. Let me transition briefly. The same thing applies in your life. Are you building according to his pattern? Or do you think you have a better idea? I have a better idea. I think I can do it on my own. You know, if you ever buy a new car, it comes with a little handbook. Nobody reads it until you want to change the, uh, the time on the clock. And then you've got to find that part. Every once in a while, someone does. Let's, let's read his. But most people don't. We kind of have an idea. We think we know how it works. And the bottom line is, most cars, internal combustion engines, you put petrol in the petrol tank, you put oil in the crankcase, you put water in the radiator, keep the battery charged, and then you can drive. You just get in and drive. You ignore all that part. Just get in and drive. But see, once you get the car home, it's your car. You can do with it whatever you want. You can just get in and drive. You don't have to check the oil. You don't even have to realize that it runs out of gas sometimes. You can do, in fact, it's your car. You can actually pour oil into the petrol tank, petrol into the radiator, water into the crankcase. It's your car. It won't go very far. It's dumb. But you can do it. There is a pattern by the guys who built it to tell you how it should work. There is a pattern by the one who made you, who tells you how your life should work, and you can come along and say, but it's my life, I have a better idea. It's stupid. (laughs) I know better than the creator. 
It so frustrates me whenever I watch things on TV or movies and the concept of the world is like there's this line of minimal happiness and everybody lives down here. And every once in a while they pop their head up out of the water to to get a breath. And their life is just an absolute chaos and a mess and they think that is normal and it's not God's pattern. God's pattern is that we live up here and occasionally we have stumbles and we fall into the water and he gets us right back up. But most of us, the, the idea of the world has been so changed and transformed in people's thinking that we think living under, under this is normal. It's how everyone lives. And they're the ones telling you, do it your own way. You decide. Number one song at funerals around the world. Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. I had a better idea, and my life was an absolute wreck. But I did it my way. Not talking about cars. Talking about us. (laughs) Okay, for my wife's sake. Why should we trust God's pattern over our own? Because he's the wisest and the most loving being in the universe. Not only does he know what's best, he chooses what's best for us every time. So, pretend I'm a dentist. Pretend I'm the absolute best dentist the world has ever seen. I know where every nerve is in your mouth, so much so that I could do any kind of work on your mouth and never use any anesthetic because I'm that good. Would you come to me to get your dental work done? (laughs) Even though I'm that good, would you come to me if you knew I hated your guts? I know where every nerve in your mouth is. (laughs) See, being wise isn't enough. It's also being loving. Okay, but let me give you another illustration. I'm just Russ. I know nothing about this. And I don't. But I love you. I want your highest. Would you come to me to get your dental work done? (laughs) I love you. I know absolutely nothing about dentistry. You won't have any teeth left, but I love you. No, loving isn't enough. God's the wisest and the kindest. How often do we go to people to get input because they love us, but they have no concept of God's pattern? And they tell us just what the world tells us, which has seen everybody in this underwater place. Would you bow your head? That ding was, I've gone out of t- overtime. 
Let me ask you this morning. Are you committed to God's pattern in your life? Okay, I'm, I'm closing. Are you committed to his way? Or have you because you didn't know it? Or thought you had a better idea? Do you have a mixture of some of the world and some of the Bible? Or maybe you've never actually surrendered your life to him. And you wonder why. You wonder why. You struggle. You wonder why you're unfulfilled. Can I encourage you this morning? Would you set your heart to follow God's pattern and ask him to not only have his pattern, but his attitude. We want to be like Jesus, but we also want to be building on his truth. He says this, a man who builds his house on his pattern is like a man who builds his house on the rock. The man who does it builds his house on the sand, and the storm comes and it falls down. He wonders why it falls down, because he thought he had a better idea. It was cheaper to build it on the sand than to build the foundation on the rock. It was easier to build it on the sand. It seemed everyone was doing it. The whole world was building theirs on the sand, and it falls down, and we wonder why. But the wise man builds his house on God's pattern. There's the charm. Holy Spirit, thank you that you empower us. Thank you that you bring revelation and truth and that you're transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be filled with his presence this week. If you've not met Jesus and would like to, there'd be some folks who'd love to uh, introduce you to him before you leave. Just come up here to the front. Somebody will grab you. Otherwise, let's go and share his pattern with everyone else. <laughs> grab you around the deck. You won't get to No. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.